0: To what God's doing. So, we're going to be in Proverbs. We're walking through Proverbs through the summertime here. Um, If you don't know where that is, you can open up your Bible and let it fall open into the middle. Take a right, probably a little bit, and you'll hit Proverbs before, right after Psalms. We'll have it on the screen um, if you would uh, need that, so don't worry about that. Um, I want to remind, first of all, first of all, our high-five kiddos stay in here. We don't have high-five during the summer. We give our high-five workers the time off. Um, so if you're in here in your first grade through fifth grade, or you're 40 years old, and you want a coloring sheet um, back there in the uh, box, um, there are some busy bags. And whoever would like to use those, those are back there. Um And then I also wanted to just mention real quickly, Jimmy and our refuge team just got back from Mexico this Wednesday, I believe, this week. And they had a great trip uh, ministering down there. You'll kind of hear some more about that and our summer ministries and just all the things that God's been doing here um, throughout the summer. And again, thank you for how you um, regularly give and support and uh, make sure that ministry happens here. So Proverbs chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. This is... It's the end of a section of Proverbs. Um, it, it's sort of the first nine chapters of Proverbs are... Um, a fa- basically, they're this, this picture, uh, an image of a father talking to a son and saying, here's wisdom, here's the way to, to properly live your life. Are you listening to me? Pay attention to what I'm saying. And then there's this entire section where he goes through these sayings... Um, about what wisdom looks like in a very practical way. Um, So chapter 9 is sort of the end of that. Um, And so we've been talking a lot about wisdom, and we'll continue to as we uh, walk through the book of Proverbs. Um, There's all kinds of wisdom in the world. That's one of the things that we kind of find, uh, is that there's all kinds of people who, who are telling us, desperately wanting to convince us that they have wisdom, that they have the way to life, that they have the right way to live. Um, There's a lot of voices that are telling us, hey, listen to me. Um, If you listen to me and you live life my way, I will lead you into happiness. I will lead you into fulfillment and joy. So there are some popular bits of wisdom um, that I wanted to kind of talk about and see if this really, are they wise? Is this really wise? Um, First of all, there's this, this popular wisdom that says, live every day like it's your last. Live every day like it's your last. If I lived every day like it was my last day, I wouldn't pay a bill. I wouldn't pay any bills, right? Like ever, I wouldn't pay any bills. I would lick every carton of Blue Bell Rocky Road ice cream. (laughs) If it was my last day, I would just go to the store and just take a scoop and put it back in. I wouldn't care. Rocky Road Blue Bell ice cream. I wouldn't wouldn't pull hair out of any of the drains in my house ever again. They would just say stopped up for whoever came next, right? I wouldn't care. Last day, I'd sit on a beach, and I'd just wait for the end to come, you know? Whatever was going to happen at the end of that day, that's what I'm doing. Bluebell ice cream, sitting on the beach, right? Probably bad advice. (laughs) Live every day like it's your last. When you're a young parent, I can remember this. Young parents, you get told a lot of times, enjoy every minute. Enjoy every minute because it goes by fast. People that tell you that have never had a (laughs) three-year-old, Okay? Obviously, it goes by fast. Obviously, that there are times that you're going to enjoy when your kids are little, but my gosh, enjoying every minute, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure, okay? So maybe not the best kind of wisdom. Here's another one for young parents. Nap when your baby naps. And I can remember Mindy tell, people telling Mindy that when, when we had little ones, and I'm like, so in the middle of the Target parking lot, I'm supposed to nap, right? Get in somebody's papoose and let them carry me around because that's when my baby's napping. Um, I don't think that would work at a high chair, just at the dinner table, just fall asleep if they're falling asleep, probably not great. Um, this is another one, people give you this wisdom when they say, um, oh, be careful after you've already tripped. <laughs> you already trip on something, oh my gosh, be careful. Well, that's a little late, right? <laughs> that's, that wisdom wasn't very helpful. Blood is thicker than water that sounds good. I'm adopted. What am I supposed to do? And I'm serious about that. Like, what, is this wisdom for me? Blood is thicker than water. Am I just hosed my whole life? Like, I don't have any hope. What am I supposed to do? And sometimes your family is just eight crazy people. They're nuts, right? And sometimes blood is not thicker than water. It isn't any better. So sometimes that's bad advice, right? There's a lot of that kind of stuff that's just flying around that says if you take this and you adopt it and you live this way, you'll find life, happiness, fulfillment, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe we're missing something. I think we are missing some things, and maybe we're missing some simple things today. Some of you read a book years ago by Robert Fulgham called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anybody remember that book? Um, some of us read that book. And he said this. This is kind of to boil it down. He said this. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain. So he's like, when I'm graduating from graduate school, not high school, not my undergrad degree, graduate school, he said, wisdom was not what we were all aiming at. Wisdom was not the top of the mountain. But there in the sandy pile of Sunday school was wisdom. And he said, these are the things that I learned back in in Sunday school and kindergarten. Share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. That's good wisdom. Right? All these things that we're trying to give our children as they're growing up, there really is some good wisdom there. Maybe we've missed some of that wisdom for things that sound like nice platitudes there's just no shortage of wisdom out there is there there's no shortage of sources to listen to voices to listen to who are trying to convince us that their way is the way i think god and the proverbs they're not so much interested for those of us in church they're not so much interested about how much scripture we can quote proverbs and god are interested in how we live what are we doing with what we say that we know What are we doing with the things, the truths that we find in Proverbs? Isn't that the point? The point is that I can quote 10 Proverbs to you. The point is, am I living out the truths that are in those Proverbs? So as we're going to turn to Scripture today, we're going to to see these two voices um, that are kind of appealing to us, calling to us all the time. They're going to be personified, which happens a lot in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Things become personified. And we're going to see these two voices become personified here as they're calling out to us. Um, about which way to go. So, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. She says, Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come. Eat of my food and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. So who is this woman of wisdom? To me, this sounded, when I was reading through this, and I've I've read this, this proverb before, like many of us have, as I was reading through this this time, it really struck me how similar this woman sounds to this passage. And I want you to listen to this and see if I'm just... Making things up, maybe. He began to speak a parable to the invited guests, and he said this When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take a place of honor. Someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. Who invited you? Give your place to this man. Jesus is talking about a wedding feast. When you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. You give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many people. At that dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to see it. (laughs) Who buys land without looking at it? Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Mail order? I don't know. And the slave came back and reported this to the master. And the head of the household became angry and said, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done. There's still room. And Jesus said, The master says to the slave, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Doesn't that sound like this woman? She set this banquet, she set this amazing dinner, and she sends her maidens to go out from the highest heights of the city and to implore them to come in to her banquet. So if you're asking me, who is this woman, this woman of wisdom, this first woman that we see here, I believe wholeheartedly that it is a a representation of Jesus Christ. It's his table, it's his invitation. The promises that she makes at the end of that passage in chapter 6 in particular, or verse 6 in particular, are Jesus' promises, promises to us. So I think this is Christ himself inviting us to come into his house at his table and to get the benefits of his life. She, uh, the, the scripture goes on and kind of describes to us what this place is like, that there are these seven pillars there's been a lot of weird stuff written about this, and I don't want to get into too much of that. I think you can go too far. Um, my personal opinion is that those seven pillars represent all the prophets, the apostles, Jesus himself, the strength and the completeness of Scripture. Scripture has a very high view of itself, or, so either we look at Scripture and we go, it really is everything that we need to live in life, or it's, it's just a, a bunch of compiled sayings It either has an inflated view of itself or it really is God's wisdom and his complete, perfect, best way, and it can be trusted. These seven pillars are basically representing the fact that what you see in God's wisdom is complete. It's whole. It can be trusted. This is the way to life. So her house is built on these seven pillars. She has food and wine. Food and wine. There's more that we could go into here. I don't want to really... Kill this. I personally believe um, this is basically an, an an invitation to come and enjoy the fullness of life. However great you think life is supposed to be, it is at the foot of Jesus' table. The the best things that you could ever want in life are at Jesus' table. Everything you ever want life to be for you happiness, wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction, it is at the table of Jesus. He is fully capable of filling you up with life capital L-I-F-E life he is more than able to give you everything that you're looking for it's in the person of Jesus Christ I also think that you have a bit of a reference there to the wine and the bread of communion That, that we have this picture here of Old Testament of course but this picture here of Jesus saying come feast on me and I know that sounds odd and that language is so bizarre to us but isn't that what he told us to do Isn't that what he said to do in the Gospels? Isn't that what he said to do in the letters in the New Testament? Feast on me, feed on me, be nourished by me. And I think that's what we see here in this woman, this Old Testament representation here. Then she sends out her maidens, right? She's made this table, she's created this building, this amazing house, seven pillars, a great meal, and she invites people to come in. Then she sends out her maidens with these invitations. Why does she do that? because they have good news. What is the good news that they're carrying out? Wisdom and life and joy are here for you. And then she uses this word naive, I think is the word that it says here. uh, Yeah, in verse four. Whoever is naive, let let him come in here. The best translation of that word naive is actually simpleton. So for all the simpletons out there, come in here. For all the naive simpletons out there, I have wisdom for you and life for you and joy for you. Some of you, will, you will check out right now because you were like, that is offensive and I am not naive or a simpleton. The very fact that you have an inflated view of yourself shows that you're a naive simpleton. <laughs> that you don't think that you're a naive simpleton means you're a naive simpleton because you believe better of yourself than what's probably true. You're the one who should be listening right now. These women go out, these maidens go out with their invitation, they have wisdom and life and joy. Listen, this is grace, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't this a picture of grace? No one that they're talking to has earned anything. No one that they're inviting to come in has ever earned one bit of this wisdom. And this woman is saying, I've provided all of it for you. I've prepared everything for you. I've built a house for you. Come in and get nourished by what I have to give you. That's grace. That's Jesus Christ. That's the invitation that we have through him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the word. I think that's the story that we have to give to other people. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, man, maybe there's a a way for us to talk about the gospel in a postmodern world where truth doesn't really matter very much anymore, right? Truth is fading away as far as postmoderns are concerned. So maybe there's a way for us to tell our gospel story here. So maybe we can say it in the framework of wisdom. Something like this. I was just foolishly searching for life. I was, I was acting like I knew the best way to live. I was treating other people as if my way was the only way or the best way. And maybe abusing them along the way. I was idolizing. I, I had made basically little gods out of money or success or family or or happiness or whatever that was i had no idea what it was like to live in real life and real wisdom or real joy i didn't know what any of that looked like but i found it in jesus christ when i began to follow him when i heard who he was and i trusted in him i received those things he has given me so much wisdom he's given me so much life maybe we can tell our gospel story like that and kind of get around some of the little tiny little walls that people have built up in their lives by talking about how God's given us wisdom. And that wisdom has provided us with joy and life and all the things that I think we're all looking for. So we see the maidens go out. We are the maidens in the New Testament. We're the ones who are supposed to be going out with this message of life and wisdom for people. Verse four, who is she inviting to her table? And again, we talked about it, the naive The simpleton. What that means is some of you are offended by it, but here's what that means. This is the person who is in need of protection. This is the person who has a hard time uh, discerning and navigating the difficult waters of real life and needs someone to walk alongside them and protect them. She's inviting them in and saying to them, I will do that for you. you. You walk my way and I will help you figure out the hardest, the most difficult things in life. I'll give you the wisdom that you need. People who are still being formed in their thinking, which should be all of us, but people who are still thinking, it's figuring out how to think, how to discern, how to get through life. Just this last week, haven't you been challenged with something? You're like, I don't know what to do here. Don't we all hit these crossroads, whether it's a relational crossroad or a, a career thing or a decision about finances? And we're like, I literally don't, there's no sign from God, there's no pointing finger anywhere i need god's wisdom here all of us fit into this category of being invited to this table says whoever she says whoever lacks understanding do you lack understanding do you lack understanding about scripture maybe specifically something in the bible i think there's two or three ways that we can lack understanding about scripture one is there are some clear teachings in scripture clear teachings in scripture Things that shouldn't be confusing, but because of sin and experience and and other things, we get confused about them. So some of us need just clear thinking about the clear teachings about scripture. We can, and it's simple stuff, It's, it's really the elementary things of faith, I think. Things like, what kind of words do you use? When you speak, what comes out of your mouth? How you think, your behavior, your relationships, the responsibilities that you have in life. These are very clear teachings in scripture and they're not in a, in a riddle, you know? They're not something for like a parable for us to have to figure out. God's been really, really clear about those things, but some of us are not. We lack understanding about those things, so we need clarity in those areas. Then there's these harder teachings in scripture. There are some hard things in scripture, really hard things. How to apply those things, 70 times seven. How many times do I forgive someone who's consistently abusive in my life? right when Jesus said forgive and forgive and forgive well, what does that forgiveness begin to look like at some point am I just a doormat and I let people abuse me and walk over me all the time how, what is this, how do I do that that's a tougher teaching there's a baseline elementary teaching there forgive people but then there's a harder one later on that gets difficult to understand and difficult to apply so maybe you lack understanding there and then I think the place where we would all say I lack understanding is just the moment to moment application of God's truth right There's a lot I understand about scripture, but I feel like there's a lot on a daily basis that I forget to apply, or I misapply, or I choose not to apply. So I need that moment to moment understanding, right? Not just that there's these big concepts of scripture, but that it governs my day to day, moment by moment living, and I may lack understanding there. That is a very interesting phrase, the person who lacks understanding. The literal translation is this, the person who wants a heart. That's what she says. To the naive, to the simpleton, to the person who needs protection, the person who's trying to figure out how to think about life, come in here. I've got wisdom for you. The person who wants a heart, come in. I have wisdom for you. That is such an interesting phrase, isn't it? It doesn't work in English right very well. The person, so we say the person who lacks understanding. So maybe we look at it like this. The person who wants courage, The person who wants a deep commitment to God's love and God's grace and God's truth. The person who wants to be sensitive and devoted to God's way of life. Come in here, I've got wisdom for you. The person who wants a heart. That's who's being invited to come to this woman's table. The naive, the simpleton, the person who wants understanding, the person who wants a heart, which I think is all of us in the room. Verse 6, I think verse 6 is the point of Proverbs chapter 9 it's the turning point of everything it's what everything points back to or points forward to this is the most important part of proverbs chapter 9 that you would choose to go into this woman and follow her ways that you would choose which just take away the symbolism you would choose jesus and you would walk in his ways this is the point this is what i think scripture is driving us toward not just this text but all the scripture, he says, or she says, forsake foolishness and live. There is a choice that you have to make here. And it's not just a choice, right? So you, you had a choice this morning, shoes, socks, underwear, shower, toothpaste, whatever, deodorant, five deodorants in your thing. You know, like we all make all these choices every day. So I'm not talking about a choice like that. This isn't just any choice. There's always a first choice there's a first choice that you make. This a stake in the ground moment. It's a starting place. And that cause, that choice, causes all other causes in your life, right? So uh, maybe I would liken it like this. As you're growing up, wherever you choose to go to college, if you chose to go to college, where you choose to go to college and what you choose to study is kind of that, it's a stake in the ground moment, right? It doesn't define everything you're gonna do for the rest of your life, but it heavily impacts everything that you do for the rest of your life. So that's a moment like that. If you get married, there's another stake in the ground moment. That choice is a seminal choice. It's the cause that causes all other causes in your life. Everything rolls out of that choice, right? You understand? Following Christ, coming to him and living life his way, living in the wisdom of Jesus is a choice like that. It's the stake in the ground kind of choice and everything revolves around that. It's the cause that causes all other causes in your life have you decided to do this to follow Jesus Christ follow him to the cross some of you haven't come to Jesus on the cross first you're, you're worried about wisdom and your daily choices that's for that's graduate level stuff you're in preschool and you need to come and say Jesus I receive you as the Lord of my life forgive me of my sins I'm going to accept who you are who you claim to be the savior of the world the savior of my life you got to start there so you follow him to the cross and then you follow him from the cross right After you come to meet him there and he rebirths you, you follow him for the rest of your life, trusting him every day, believing in him and living in his ways. We've said this before. That means that when Jesus says something, when God says something about money or sex or work or honor or obeying or entertainment or purchases or relationships or family, that means that you follow him because you make that choice. This is the choice. This is the thing that this woman is driving us toward. Choose to walk in my way. Receive my wisdom and live my way. That's the choice that Jesus is driving. Some of us really struggle with this thing. This kind of an idea of, a, of a, a first choice. The big choice, right? We struggle with this because taking action paralyzes some people. We're just paralyzed by the idea of having to choose anything. Some of us can't choose because we've been burned by poor decisions in the past. So all other decisions get tainted by that some of us don't have a toolbox for making choices like we didn't see our parents make very good choices we didn't see them choose maybe anything at all they just went with the flow of life and so for us the idea of making choices we don't know where to start we make thousands of decisions every day like thousands of them this is the one that frames every other decision So here's what I want to challenge us with, and I hear Christians do this all the time, and I really think it's a false dichotomy. I think it's something that makes us feel spiritual, but I don't know how spiritual it really is, all right? So let me just say that. Here's what I would say. Maybe you'll get some freedom today. Instead of worrying all the time and fretting about making the perfect decision in God's mystical, magical will, what if we just make the one choice every day that will ensure that we make right decisions all day long? I will live in the ways of Jesus. I will follow him. What he says is right, I'll do it. What he says is wise, I'll pursue it. And every other choice falls in line underneath that choice. So that's a get up in the morning, choose again kind of choice, right? When I wake up today, I have to make this choice. I have to make that seminal choice. Not that he's my savior, but that he's going to be my lord of everything today. He's going to dictate everything that I do today be nourished by the wisdom of christ like that's what he she's inviting us into is to this banquet sit at a table and fellowship with wisdom fellowship with jesus this is the invitation it's not it's not intellectual it's not conceptual it's not knowledge-based it's relational we're being asked to come in and sit with jesus and to feed on him a new testament imagery there's this deep internalization going on here. You have to make a decision that your core principles, your core loves, your devotions, your affections, your goals are going to be bent or broken and reformed into God's wisdom. How many times if I asked you, what do you want to be doing in five years? You, you leap into houses, cars, retirement, vacations, stuff, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. How many times when we ask that question, do we leap into material things when maybe we need to step back? We need to step back and say, in five years, I want my, my heart's deepest desires. Right now, I really want a third boat. Not my first boat or my second but I want a third boat in five years. And in five years, I just want to, I want to make sure that that desire has been checked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't we talk like that? Why don't we say, man, in five years, I want my core desires to be driven by what God would want me to do. Does that make sense? This is what we're talking about. This is the point of the gospel. This is the point of wisdom, that it works its way deeply internally into our deepest desires and affections and loves and goals and dreams in life. So here's what that means. Scripture says some things about these kinds of things that we have to decide on every day. Is there really a forever future with God? Is that true? Is that part of God's wisdom and the way that he set up the universe to run? That those of us who believe in him and trust him will live forever with him? If that's true, how should that change my choices today? Is there really a way to overcome temptation and sin? Or was Jesus just exaggerating? Was he just selling me something so I would follow him? And then behind the scenes he goes, hey, by the way, that whole overcoming temptation thing, haven't figured that out yet (laughs) you know what I mean or did he mean I've overcome the world and you can overcome the world if that's true if that's part of God's wisdom for our world what does that do with our choices is there really the power to forgive the people who hurt us the worst really really if there is what does that do with your choices today Is there really a new community and family where I can find love and acceptance? If there is, what does that do with your choices today? Is there really a God who knows me and accepts me and wants to change me and he wants to be with me forever? If that's true, what does that do to my choices today? That's wisdom. Is there really a creator God who left us in this world to steward and manage it for his glory? If that's true, what does that do with my choices today? God's wisdom. There's a road sign that we're seeing here in this proverb. It's a road sign, and it says, hey, dummy, turn in here. All of you who are a little dumb, and you can acknowledge it, you're humble enough to go, I don't know, I'm kind of dumb in that. Turn in here, I've got wisdom for you. Some of us guys, that means we have to be humble, doesn't it? Right? We can't look at the wife and go, hey, it says dummies, that's you. You wanna drive? Right? You have to go, that's me, you're right. We gotta take that road and then go into this place and sit at this table and learn wisdom, amen? That's the invitation that's being given to us here. Verse seven. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself and he who reproves a wicked man Gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Now, this is an interesting little thing, a little couple of verses here. Have you ever tried to teach someone or even force wisdom onto somebody or coerce or manipulate people into wisdom? If you're a dad, raise your hand. Okay? (laughs) We have just tried our hardest to sit on people and twist them and put their arm behind their back and make them learn wisdom. And it's so frustrating, right, when they won't do it. And this verse says we can't do it. I want you to understand something. All of us need to understand something. Not only do these foolish people share the end of foolish people. So there's, Proverbs is full of this. We looked at it two weeks ago. Matt looked at it some last week the end of foolish people is destruction and loss of everything that you think life should be that's the end of foolishness so not only do foolish people share the end of foolishness they cannot be forced into wisdom you can't force them into it the wisest thing anybody could ever do would be to come to Jesus and say save me from my sins I can't do it I can't force people into that wisdom and I can't force people on the back of it to live his way either So how do I know if I'm foolish? Some of you are like, I'm so glad somebody needs to hear this today, right? I'm so glad some fool is listening to this. How do I know if I'm foolish? Can you be criticized or corrected? Because the foolish man can't be. The foolish man can't handle somebody coming to him and saying, hey, that's not a good idea. Who are you? You're just a little young punk, I know what I'm doing. not everybody gets and I mean this and I really do mean this I think you have to marry this with other wisdom in scripture I'm not going to throw pearl before swine so not everybody has a right to do this but you know what your mentors maybe your teammates and that could be literally teammates or work teammates maybe some authority in your life some wise person in your life some teach somebody has this authority to come into you and critique you to look at your life and say that's not a good idea don't do that The more foolish you are, the less teachable, coachable, and correctable you are. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, fools and scoffers and the simple like to have their own way and to be told they're doing fine. But the wise man and the wise woman wants truth. Teach wise people and they'll accept the truth and become wiser. Try to teach fools and they'll reject the truth and become even greater fools. You cannot teach everyone, drag everyone, coerce everyone. This is what legalists do. If you're a legalist, this is what you're doing. You're trying to manipulate and coerce people into living wisely. And I'm just telling you, you can't do it. You'll make them bitter. What does it say in the, they'll hate you for it, right? You can't drag people into this place. Then it goes further and it says, not only can you not do it, it says, don't do it there's a warning here for the wise person. You can't drag them into wisdom. And he says, don't try to drag them into wisdom. Now, my gosh, now we're really struggling, aren't we? Because there's some of us in here, we're OCD, we're type A personalities, and things need to be done right. You know what I mean? There's just a way that life is supposed to be lived, and we have a hard time accepting that. Here's what I would say. Marry it with the rest of of wisdom literature Proverbs would have this idea that you're constantly trying to correct people. You have poor timing in your correction. Do not constantly be dogging people for their foolishness. You can't nag people into wisdom either, right? I can't coerce you, I can't force you, and I can't nag you into it either. And so many times, again, maybe moms and dads or spouses, how many times have you, it's legit wisdom, You've had wisdom to give to someone, to a kid or a grandchild or, or whatever, and you just chose the wrong time. Or you're doing it all the time. <laughs> all the time is also the wrong time. Okay? So sometimes it's just you gotta marry this oppor- with the right opportunity, you know? Unless, unless your point is you need them to see you as wise and helpful. If that's your goal, they'll never gonna see you that way. Does that make sense? If your motivation for giving away wisdom is that people will see you as wise and helpful, it'll backfire on you. That can't be why you're giving away wisdom and why you're trying to help people. It's about their benefit. This the psalm, this proverb talks about it later. I, we'll have to skip over it. But ultimately, it's for their benefit. So don't constantly be trying to give wisdom away to people. You're gonna have to pick and choose. Sometimes you pick and choose your battles, right? Pick and choose the timing. Pick and choose how you say it. Be wise in how you try to give away wisdom. Okay? It's important to understand that foolish people, this is for those of us who want to correct us all the time. <laughs> it's important to understand that foolish people, is a cho- it's a, they're, they're choosing their lifestyle. Foolishness is a chosen lifestyle. The foolish are not foolish because they lack inf- information or knowledge. They're foolish because they like to appear superior to other people and they can't be corrected and they choose foolishness. Now that's a really tough one to swallow because I do like to think of people generally the best and if they just had a little more knowledge well if they just understood and I think Proverbs is basically saying not just here but throughout Proverbs no they know they know they have plenty of knowledge they're choosing that. It's more important to them that they look like they know what they're doing so they can't be critiqued and corrected. And it's more important to them to follow their own way than to walk in wisdom. We've got to remember, all of us in this room have to remember that we are new creatures in an old body. (laughs) We are new creations in an old body and we need the new mind of Christ to be built in us all of the time. So we have to be instructable instructable being made new and seeking wisdom all the time so that we don't fall into that category of being the uncorrectable fool verse 8 don't reprove a scoffer he will hate you then he says reprove a wise man and he will love you give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning so there's this contrast with the fool for the wise man he's teachable the wise person usually understands that there's more that he doesn't know than he does know. I think when, I'm, when I was younger, I thought I'm gonna reach a point where I'll know more than everybody else. And as I've gotten older, I just realized how much I don't know. The more I know, the more I know I don't know. And the wise person accepts that, like internalizes that. Maybe I'll learn something from you. Maybe you've got something to give me that I don't have. Maybe I'm looking at this in a completely wrong way. Maybe your perspective is a better perspective. Because there's a lot I don't know. That's wisdom. So he draws a contrast there. Look at verse 10. We've heard this before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a major theme throughout the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One leads to or is understanding. Everything has a beginning. And thank God for us foolish people Every day is full of new beginnings. Every day. Every day is full of opportunities to treat every decision like God is good, like God is in control, like God is watching over you, like God has good works for you to do today, like God is changing your thoughts and your loves. This is what I think fearing God really means. It means getting up every day and making decisions every day like God is amazing, like God has things for me to do today. He's got good works for me to do today, and I'm going to live like that. Living in fear of God means to respect him and to honor him. Why should we fear God? It shows that you have a right understanding of God's vastness, his size and his strength, his purity and his holiness. Maybe you sin, and I'm going to talk about foolishness. Maybe you continue to walk in foolishness because your, your vision of God is too small. Maybe you see God as being something that's containable in your brain or understandable or somehow he's trapped in this book. If that's your vision of God, you're going to sin and walk in foolishness. So maybe we need to have this bigger idea about God. Maybe we think, well, he won't know or he won't care or he can't do anything about that or he didn't speak clearly about that or he did speak clearly but he didn't really mean that. Those are all tiny visions of God and those things, if I have those things in my head, I'm going to sin, I'm going to walk in foolishness. There are two voices that are calling out to us. We're about to get into the second one. How can we know the difference between which one to go into? They're both asking us to come into a house, two different houses. How do I know which one to choose? By fearing God, submitting to the love of God, the respect of God, submitting to his ways, to his word and everything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is the way to righteousness. Verse 13. Here's this other woman. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive. That's interesting she's naive and she knows nothing this other woman this other voice and immediately one of the things we see about her and i think about evil in particular is that they're loud and they're intentionally seeking to corrupt other people it's one of the things we see about this other woman she is ultimately going to lead us to evil away from god away from god's ways she's loud and she is seeking to corrupt other people. Evil takes joy in corrupting others. Evil needs other people to validate their own evil. Good can be good all alone. Daniel in the Old Testament, Joseph in the Old Testament, Abel in the Old Testament, Jesus, Paul, the apostle John, Stephen, they're good all by themselves. They don't need anybody to go with them because they're on the side of right and the side of holiness evil needs people to come alongside of it and go hey won't this be fun hey won't this make us feel good hey won't this be the best life that we can have that's one of the things that we see here about evil so watch out for the calls of evil and foolishness this other woman sits on a chair that's the image we have here she sits on a chair in front of this house which we'll talk about in a second. And basically, she's also in the high places. So this the, the woman of wisdom is in the highest part of the city. This woman's also in the high part of the city. She's not in the slums, that's not attractive to anybody. She's in the highest part of the city, also. That's where the rich people would live. It's where the well-to-do people would live. She's in the same place. She sits in the best parts of your life and she calls to you to foolishness. The corner office, the six-figure salary, the pretty clothes, the popular, the influential foolishness is not solely the right of the poor and the ignorant it is most attractive to the rich and the successful from those who are also rich and successful we see this played out all the time i don't have time to get into that so are you being tempted toward foolishness this is another part of wisdom how many times do we get tempted to go away from god toward foolishness we do it and we look back and we go oh my gosh what was i thinking how did I not see that? Isn't part of wisdom seeing in the middle of the temptation, this is a temptation and I should probably run away. So there is a kind of wisdom that comes from learning from when you mis- make mistakes and mess up. There's another deeper, more mature kind of wisdom that in the middle of the temptation, it goes, wait a minute. This is not leading me toward God. This is leading me away from God and, and puts the brakes on before the fall actually happens. So recognize the temptation, not just the fall. And then are you constantly influencing other, peop- other people away from God, away from wisdom, away from Jesus? You're constantly just giving them words of jealousy or bitterness or false humility and insecurity? Man, I would pray, you just need to start praying for wisdom and discernment and self-control. Sorry kids, but you need to shut up. There's a, there is a call to foolishness that comes from loud, boisterous people that leads us away from the ways of God and wisdom and you can participate in that just like you can be a messenger for God's wisdom you can be a message for Satan's foolishness and sometimes you just need to shut your mouth amen and we need to quit because we're drawing people away from God's way and God's wisdom verse 17 every temptation you will ever face is in verse 17 you ready this is a woman she's still speaking she says this Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It is the summary of every temptation you will ever face. Whatever you get your way is better than anything God could give you. That's that's every temptation you'll ever face. Whatever you can get in your way And your time is better than anything God could ever give you. It's sweeter, it's more pleasurable, it's more satisfying, it brings more happiness, it's more fulfilling. That means that when God says to wait for God's way with sexuality and enjoy God's way, that's the best way. There's other ways to do it, but that's the best way. There's wisdom there. When it says to spend money so that you can be ready for kingdom work, when scripture talks to us like that, it's the best way. There's lots of ways to spend our money, but Scripture says spend it in such a way that when God's kingdom work comes, you're ready to jump in. Make closest friends with those people who are running towards Jesus with you. There's a lot of people you can be friends with. Make your closest friends the people that are running towards Jesus with you. That's the best way. Remember, sin is attractive. It's sweet. It's sweet for a moment. That's why it's attractive at all. If it wasn't sweet, we wouldn't do it. And some of us get addicted to that rush of sin. Some of us sin for sin's sake because there's this rush of adrenaline of getting away with something and the sweetness turns to bitterness. It's always short-lived. So here we are at the end and there's two tables. There's an end to these people. These people that go to foolishness, these people that go into the second house with this woman of folly. Verse 18, (laughs) She says, hey, come in, it's sweet, and this bread is great, but he doesn't know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, that's the grave. There's two different feasts that are going on, and I think ultimately this is a call to relationship. Who are you gonna be in relationship with, you, with uh, in, in here? This is kind of the, the end of this section, and he's telling us, choose, Solomon, the writer, the author, is telling us choose to be with wisdom so you can obey and live out the rest of this book. Look at it like this. Jesus has set up this beautiful temple of worship to God for you to live in for the rest of your life, to live in happiness, to get life now and forever. One of the things we didn't look at, but I want to say this, she slaughters an animal. There's meat at her table. Now, you and I are like, well, of course there's meat because that's what Old Testament people did. Everybody killed stuff and ate it. I'm living like God did and all that stuff. Listen, meat's a rarity. That's very Western, okay? It's, it's very unusual for most of the world to be killing animals all the time and eating it. I love animal meat, don't get me wrong, but it's very rare. And if you were to go back 3,000 years, 4,000 years, this was a real luxury This would have been a very rare thing. Matter of fact, most poor people never would slaughter an animal. They might kill something small, but you would never take a sheep. They were way too uh, uh, valuable to you as, as herds than they were for you to kill them and eat them. So for this woman to go and kill an animal and have it at her table, this is now a party. It is banquet time. It's like a wedding party. It's something just huge. She has slaughtered uh, a, 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 an animal it's a rarity she has spiced wine that's the other thing that's unique about her table she has spiced wine it's not just wine it's tasty wine it's enjoyable wine it's rare wine that is all symbolic it's all representing that God has given us the very best you come into God's ways you live in his wisdom and it is the very best way to live your life it is the choicest of meats. It is the rarest of wines. Like this, chapter one, wisdom preserves us from violence. Chapter two, wisdom keeps us on the paths of righteousness. Chapter three, wisdom improves us financially. Wisdom or chapter four, wisdom gives us status or honor. Chapter five, wisdom gives us a great marriage. Chapter six, wisdom makes work and uh, makes us work and accomplish worthy goals. Chapter seven, wisdom protects us in temptation. Chapter eight. Wisdom opens up our eyes to enjoy the beauty of creation. That is the meat at the table, guys. That's life, right? That, that's the kind of life we all want to live, is for wisdom to give us that. Now, that's Jesus' house. That's what he's inviting us to come into. Then sin, evil, Satan, whoever, however you want to talk about it, folly, or folly, foolishness, sets up a temple, but it's more like a movie set where you have these facades and it looks like a temple, it looks like a nice house, but behind it, it's just propped up by two by fours, propping up a building front, and behind it is death and hell. Which party do you want to attend? Who needs the invitation to life and wisdom in Jesus? It is the very best way to go. Will you be wise or will you be a fool? Have you made that core decision? The very first decision to come to Jesus, to come to his table of life, and then daily fear the Lord in all things. Respect him, honor him, live like he really is who he says he is. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe somebody wants to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I want to grow. I want to become a better person. I want to be like you. Show me how. Tell me how. Correct me, teach me, train me, rebuke me, do whatever you want to do in my life. Who needs to pray a prayer like that or wants to pray a prayer like that? Lord, I want to grow. I want to be wise. I want to become a better person. I want to be like Jesus. Please tell me how. Correct me teach me, train me, correct me, rebuke me. I don't want to live the life of a fool. Your invitation today is to come to the table of Jesus. Feast on the bread of heaven. We're there with you. You're not there by yourself. There's a crowd of people there with you. We're young and we're old. We're men and women. There's a lot of ethnicities there, skin colors, backgrounds, We all have hopes and fears and pains and longings and desires and dreams. And Every time we come to the table of Christ, we want wisdom. We want wisdom. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to live this life. I don't know what choice to make. I don't know which way to go. Give me wisdom. And it's here at Jesus' table that we get insight and understanding and wisdom. So if you're a fool you'll walk out of here and you will listen to the call of sin and temptation and the world who is the loudest voice in your life what is the loudest voice in your life right now there's two voices you may think there's thousands of voices there's really just two who is the loudest voice in your life and what are they saying you where are they leading you to stop if you've been a fool up till this morning stop don't listen to that voice anymore. Come into the wisdom of Christ. It's the decision that you have to make to follow Jesus Christ. And there's others in here and you would just be the simple person. You're not a fool, you're just simple. You need help, you need protection, you need guidance, you need courage. Wisdom tells you there's a better way. There's hope for your hopelessness, there's a way through the impossible and you can have joy and fulfillment and you can honor God every day so you need to right now make the decision to stop living like a fool and start to live the way God would have you live he's been very clear about so many things Lord I want to grow Lord I want you to make me a better person Lord I want to be like you show me how tell me how correct me, teach me, train me. We're going to go into a time of prayer and ministry. There's several things I want to just kind of throw at you. This will go on for several minutes here. Um, We have our kneelers set up here if you would like to come and and, uh, pray on your own. I'm going to ask some of our prayer counselors if you wouldn't mind getting up and making yourselves available around the edges of the room to pray with people as they may need prayer. So, you can go to one of our prayer counselors and receive some prayer this morning if you would like to from the people that will be around the edges of the room. Um, I want to throw this out at you. One of the things that we will do with our students when we go to our, our mission trip, we'll have a night um, where our kids will write out prayer requests. And it may be a, a pain that they have, or a need, or a fear that they've gotten, and they just want to leave it at the foot of the cross. They're done, and they're tired and they're afraid and they just want to leave it there and so we may have a cross sometimes we've taken that cross or we'll have another cross and, and they'll nail it on there with. sometimes we've had hammer and nails or a thumbtack this year we had um, duct tape and the kids just it's covered with all these prayer requests so I just want to I mean our students can do this I think we can do this on a Sunday morning here's some of the stuff that your kids wrote on hung on a cross said I want to leave this I don't want to carry this out of here anger and fear. Help me to understand why I go back between right and wrong and live a double life and I can be a hypocrite. How can I truly change? God, I want you to make my brother have faith in you. I want you to cure my heart from all sins. I want you to give faith to my broken family. God, I I want to stop being judgmental. I want to stop gossiping and running things and people down. I want to take them to the Lord instead. (laughs) God, I need help. As one of our our counselors, I want to be a better parent. I don't want to worry. I want to love like you. I want to spend more time with you. I want you to help me listen to your ways because I've tried it my way and that ended up like a train wreck I want to hear your voice to guide me in the way that you want me to in everything that I do I want to be attentive to God like Jesus was these are some of the things that our kids our students are praying about they sound like adult prayers don't they there's not much difference there they just have the freedom to do it they give themselves the permission to actually do it so we're going to give you the permission to do it for the next 15 or 20 minutes however much long we need over here at this table, there's prayer request cards. You can do something similar and just nail it onto that board. We would love to pray for you. If it's something you're, you don't want anybody to know about, but you want to just physically kind of leave it at Jesus' feet, or you can write it down. There's a basket in the middle. Just fold it up and put it in there, and that'll be a symbolic of you just leaving it at the foot of, of Christ. You can get prayer with the people around the room. There's prayer kneelers here. We're going to worship some. I know Jimmy and them are going to lead us in some worship also. So as we sing and as we worship, you pray. Go to somebody else and pray. As we leave today, um, on your way out, if you came with an offering, you can drop it in the boxes on the doors um, on the way out this morning. Um, So thank you guys for being here. We'll close our time in a few moments, but right now let's just worship and pray, and let's use this time for the Lord to just move in our hearts, okay?